Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, tonight's topic, you can beat temptation. You can beat temptation. Temptation primarily, for most people, obviously relates to aspects of sin, missing the mark. But you know, we get tempted in many ways by the enemy to mislead, to deceive, to lead us astray. Thank God we can beat every temptation that comes. And so we're going to cover quite a few verses in this uh, part of our series tonight as we go over this together to learn about what Scripture teaches for us and how you and I, as children of God, can beat every form of temptation. Praise God. We don't have to give in to anything Satan is trying to get us lured into, suckered into. We can walk in victory as a child of God and help others do the same. Number one on your notes, though the devil is a spirit being, though the devil is a spirit being, he's limited by God. Underline that. He's limited by God to tempt you in ways that are common to man, not common to spirits. Now, I'm going to tell you, I think we understand a little of this as ministers and others I've heard teach it. But the reality is we don't fully understand all things, obviously, in relationship to everything that we know, God knows, because we're still learning and will be. But the point he's making here is, even though the devil's a spirit being, he's still limited at how much he can tempt you. What he can tempt you with are ways that are common to man, not to spirits. Why? It has to do with the authority that, that he got in this earth. That he got a foot into this earth to be able to deal with stuff in the natural from the spirit realm. So therefore, obviously, that authority does not include tempting our spirit man. The devil doesn't tempt your spirit. Everything he does in relationship to temptation in your life has to do with your flesh. Has to do with your carnal flesh. He cannot tempt your spirit to deny Christ. He cannot tempt your spirit to obviously walk away from Christ. He can tempt your flesh to try to get you to head that direction to be able to obviously deny Jesus, but he's going to have to do it through the flesh. So thank God because of that, God can limit him and does as it relates to temptations that we deal with. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, if you're there, say amen. amen. Verse 13 says that no temptation has overtaken you except, notice this, such as common to man. No temptation has overtaken you, you know. We don't want temptations to overtake us, but they have at times. They have at times. People have been overtaken by temptation. Meaning what? Give in to it. But the key here is understanding no such temptation has come that is not anything more than what is common to man, what every man or human is tempted with. But God is faithful. Say God's faithful. So here you have it. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able there's nothing Satan can tempt you with in the natural that God doesn't give you the ability to overcome. Now, there might be some things you might need to deal with, as we've already talked about in dealing with strongholds, to be able to address some stronghold issues in your life. But how many know God gave you the weapons to deal with that? So, He is not going to let you be tempted, again, beyond what you're able. What you're able to deal with, what you're able to overcome. 
There is no temptation that we're ever going to deal with that God's not going to give us the ability to overcome because he's going to limit Satan beyond that as to what he can tempt us with. But with the very temptation, with the very temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to do what? To bear it. In other words, to not give in to it, to endure and to gain victory over it. So that means, again, the temptation in that case may come, but you will be able to escape it. God's going to show you the very fact. What do you mean? He's, what, is it, what do you mean that? But with the temptation, he'll make a way of escape. Well, if you don't know what you're being tempted with and revealed by God that it's wrong, then obviously you can give in to the temptation and be deceived. So with the temptation, meaning God will reveal to you this ain't good, and therefore, hey, guess what? I've given you a way out, and we're going to learn about some of those ways out tonight. So number one, a God is faithful. Say He's faithful. He is faithful to do what? Help us in the time of temptation. Now, I'll guarantee you one of the greatest ways you're going to get God's help in any time of temptation. Walk close to God. Because if you walk close to God, you're aware of Him as we talked about this morning. And if you are, you obviously have His help to help you overcome any form of temptation. 1B, and and a part of that, by the way, again, is a lot of temptation is to lead you into a form of deception. God doesn't get deceived. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 1B, guess what? God will also do what? He'll make a way of escape every time. We may not always take it, but he'll make a way of escape. He provides a way out. If we're willing to take the way out, he will always provide a way of escape. The Bible says so. He doesn't lie. 1C, God will not allow you to be tempted again beyond what you're able, what you're able to deal with in life that you could obviously overcome. Hey, even wrong thoughts, even wrong thoughts about yourself. God makes a way out. You just got to be willing to accept God's way. You think about anything you've ever been tempted about in your life where you know without a doubt this temptation is not good. I shouldn't give in to this thought. I shouldn't give in to this actual action or what I'm going to do here or whatever. You already know in your heart not to give in to it. You already know it's wrong. If you're being tempted with it, like God says, with the temptation I'll make a way of escape. Meaning I'll show you this is wrong. So you know obviously there is a way out because God's saying that's not the way to go. Amen. But what then you got to do is you got to be willing to do what? You got to be willing to respond to what God's showing you and take the way to be able to get out. Obviously, turning from what you know you shouldn't be doing. So even as it comes to thoughts of yourself, think about this. How many, how many of you have ever had a wrong thought about yourself since you've been born again? How many of you know when that thought came it was wrong? That you shouldn't think that way, right? So the point is, why think that way? You should recognize that's not my thoughts. That's temptation from the enemy. I'm not going down that road. So what's the way, of, uh, way out of temptation there? What God thinks about you. What God says about you. So if you look over in the same chapter over in verse 20, 1 Corinthians 10, just moving over here a little bit to verse 20 and 21. He goes on in this chapter and he says in verse 20, Rather that the things with the, which the Gentiles sacrifice... They sacrifice to demons. Now that doesn't just mean demon worship. That means Gentiles who don't know God, who choose to live their life in a way that's contrary to God because they don't know God. Really what they're doing is they're giving into what? They're giving into Satan's schemes. So they're giving into some form of demonic temptation or demonic force. They sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons, underline it. I do not want you to have fellowship, communion with demons. Being one with doing things that obviously you shouldn't be involved with that relate to demons and the work of demonic activity. 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. 
You cannot. You cannot drink. You cannot experience. You can back it up and rewind it from a backwards perspective. You cannot drink the cup of demons and drink the cup of the Lord at the same time. So you can't get what God has for you if you keep doing what you know the devil wants you to do that you know you shouldn't do. If you do that, you're literally blockading God from helping you. I mean, the number one way to understand giving into temptation is it's kind of like God's on one side, the devil's on the other. And so if I give in to what I am now going to submit myself to, referencing a sacrifice to demons, chosen to bow down, if I bow down to what Satan wants me to do, what have I just done to God? I've turned my back on God. So you can't drink the cup of demons and the cup of... You can't get all that God wants for you not, you, uh, not resisting and getting away from temptations. If you give in to those temptations, God's going to be somewhat limited in your life. But thank God, how many know you can repent? Turn around. So it's just saying you can't play both God and the devil here. You can't keep doing things that are wrong in the sight of God and think somehow in that area of your life, God's going to help you. You know, I, I mean, I know you would understand this, but it's just a simple illustration. <clears throat> if I keep cheating on my spouse, how many of you know God's not going to be able to help my marriage? Right. You can pray all day long for your marriage to be helped, but if you keep cheating on your spouse, guess what? God can't help your marriage because you're damaging it. Right. You're doing the destruction. So that's what it's saying why you can't drink the cup of demons and the cup of the Lord at the same time. Verse 21 again, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. So we don't want to fellowship with the works of darkness because that literally turns us away from what God has for our life. Number two on your notes, learn now. Learn now that you cannot fellowship and partake of the devil's things and of God's things at the same time. What if I give in? Repent. Turn back to God. Get sitting, get sitting back down at God's table and receive what God has for you. But you can't do both. So there is a truth to the fact we don't earn anything from God. Our faith is in what Jesus did. But if I'm living in deliberate sin, giving into temptation, I'm going to limit God's ability to do certain things in my life based on whatever it is I'm giving myself into. You know, as an example, if I was somebody who was giving myself into all kinds of illicit sexual sin, could I get some form of bad disease from that? Sure. Could God protect me from the disease? No, because you're choosing to yield to it. So that's my point. You can't keep yielding to the things of Satan and think somehow God's going to bless me anyway. No, you're allowing Satan to ransack your life. So that's why we don't want to do what? Fellowship of demons and think we could do that in fellowship with God. Not going to do that. Say not going to do that. James chapter 1, James chapter 1, we're not going to say you never give in to a temptation because every believer at some point has given into some form of a temptation. The point is, if you do, guess what you need to do? One, turn from it. Turn from it. Two, if it's a weakness, you need to start fortifying your life there. Go get weapons to help you. Go get scripture to help you. Go get verses that give you understanding of what Jesus has already done to deliver you from that. And then three, start confessing that over your life. Amen. There's power in your confession when you speak the word of God. So don't just accept it. And that's the other thing, sad to say. A lot of people just think, well, you know, it's just me. I just can't seem to overcome this temptation. No, it's not you. You're a spirit. Nothing about your spirit wants to do anything that's evil. And so you got to not accept it as something that's just a lot in life or part of my life of how I'm going to have to live. No, you don't have to live that way. James chapter 1. 
James chapter 1, 13. 1, 13. Let no one say, so that would include me. So don't, don't you say this. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by what? Evil. Nor does he himself do what? Now right there is just another verse that tells you there's nothing evil about God. Nothing. There's nothing evil about God. Because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Why? Because there's no evil in him. 14. But each one is tempted. Listen carefully. Each one is tempted. What are we going to be tempted by? Watch this. When he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. What the devil is tempting you with is your old fleshly desires. Now, you could be tempted in context of certain things that aren't a sin based on how you are actually living that out. But it could be a sin if you don't live it out the way God said. If I'm tempted to date somebody and start having premarital sex, that's a sin. That's a sin. If I choose not to do that, I choose to honor God and I choose to stay out of that sin. But how many know that obviously in the marriage covenant, it's okay. So you could be tempted with something that of itself may not be a sin. It's the context in which it's actually being exercised or being done. As an example, is it a sin to actually have money? No. Is it a sin for money to have you? Yeah, because then money will drive you to do what it wants you to do with it. Money itself's not a sin, is it? Money itself's not evil. No, it's the love of. So having money itself is not evil. A lot of people mistake that verse. Well, you don't want money because money's evil. Didn't say that. Said the love of money is. So we just don't want to have a love for it. Notice this in verse 14 again. Each one's tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. 15, then when desire has conceived. So there's a process here. The temptation begins, but being tempted is not a sin. By the way, if you're tempted, it's normal. I said, if you're tempted, it's normal. Don't think there's something unholy by, about you because you're being tempted. No, everybody gets tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to let it do what? Let it actually get in a position where it begins to now get conceived in your heart, and then you therefore carry it out. So he tells us the process. You're tempted by your own fleshly desires, 15, enticed, 15, when desire has conceived. So now you've chosen to receive it, act upon it, and give, give obviously, as it says, birth to the sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth what? So you know there can be a sin that doesn't become full grown. Aren't you glad? So what is a sin full grown? What is a sin full grown? You choose to not repent. You choose to continue, listen to me, to live willfully in sin. I choose to do it anyway. That sin now is going to become full grown in your life. And I guarantee it will be a part of your normal routine of what you do because you've chosen to accept it as a part of your lifestyle. Don't ever do that. So sin itself is not full grown unless we choose to do what? Start doing so willfully and continue to do so just as a part of our life to say, no big deal, I'm going to do it anyway. 16, do not be deceived. So I'm not going to be. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. 17, why? Because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights. Lights refers to spirits here. With Notice this, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, meaning that, you know, the context of a shadow, God doesn't even put off a shadow because he's nothing but light. And shadow obviously means a type of changing, right? From the time the sun comes up in the morning till the sun goes down, that shadow is going to change. God doesn't change. Aren't you glad? 
Notice on your notes number three, every man is tempted when he's drawn away by what? Now to help you understand that better, if you keep getting tempted in the area, you need to address what that actual wrongful desire is. Again, recognize if it's a weakness, go to the Word of God and deal with it. Learn to overcome it with the weapons God gave you. Number 3A, watch this. Don't ever blame God for your temptations or your sins. 3B, each man has his own lusts and cravings that he must deal with. So let's learn some verses about how to do that. What do you say? Romans 13. Romans 13. I'm just grateful to know that our God knows if we choose to want to do it or we choose to not want to do it, and we are trying to get free from it. He knows the difference if we have it or it has us. And thank God, I don't want anything that I'm just going to have my hand on that I could let go of. I'll guarantee you there's been sins in my life that have had a stronghold on my life. And I will promise you, the moment you do it, you feel like an absolute idiot. You, you, you know, and then you start beating yourself up. But in your heart, you know, I don't want to do this. You're, you're walking out the Romans 7 verses. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do, Right? Because i got these two natures within me that are battling. But how do I get deliverance? Thank God for Jesus Christ. So Jesus provided a way to help deliver us. We just got to look to him for the deliverance. Can I get a better amen? Romans 13, Romans 13 verse 12, 12, 13 and 14. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off, underline this please, cast off the works of darkness. The works. The works. Cast off the works, the actions of darkness. And let us put on what? The armor of light. 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for what? Underline that. Make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision. For the flesh to fulfill its lust. So as long as you live on this planet until Jesus returns and or you to go be with him, you got a lust of a, a, excuse me, you have a flesh that has its own lusts that are not good if lived out in disobedience to God. As long as you're here, you're going to deal with that. But what we need to learn to do is put on what? The Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we're teaching in our series with our men, the total man. How do you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? So something new that we actually learned, I'd never seen it till we got to this part of our series with Dr. Summerall. If you think about it again, you're a spirit, correct? Now the spirit is just made up of what? Your spirit. That's it, just spirit. You have a soul. What's your soul made up of? Three parts. Mind, will, and emotion. Your spirit's not three parts. Your spirit's just a spirit. But your soul is mind, will, and emotions. And you have a... Body, which is just referred to as one type of being, has many members, but it is, all, although it makes up one member, you know, one being. Now, I never thought about this because the real problem that we have to deal with to put on Christ has to do with this soul. Just like we talked about thinking like God, you got to renew your mind. But I never thought about this. I actually never, ever thought about this. The Bible refers time and time and time again to what the Bible calls the very heart of our thoughts. The heart of our thoughts. The word heart doesn't always refer to your spirit. It refers to the innermost part of something. Now, I never, honestly, seriously, I learn all the time. I want to keep learning. 
I was sitting there with our guys saying, I never knew this till I heard this teaching. I never knew this until I heard this teaching. The soul has a center part of it. The soul has the inner part of it. It's called the heart, which means the inner part of. And the Bible refers over and over again to the aspect that your thoughts have a heart or a center part of where that comes from. So the soul is made up of three parts again, right? What Made up of mind, will, and emotions. Guess which one of those three is the center part of your soul? Your emotions. Your emotions. What are you tempted with? You're not tempted with your will. You're tempted with emotions. You're tempted with how you feel. You listening? You're tempted with how you feel. You're t- you, you, don't, you don't choose first to punch somebody back until your emotions go into operation. Your emotions kick in first, and then the will says, hit him. Right? You listening? The emotions of the flesh say, ooh, I desire that, and the will says, go after it. What's the center part of your soul? Your emotions. And this is why we don't want to be emotion ruled. Because if we're emotion ruled, guess what we're being ruled by? The old Adamic nature. I'm off on a rabbit trail for a minute to explain how do we put on Christ. He just told you, so put on Christ. That's a whole other teaching in itself. But I'm just trying to give you a quick explanation. You have a soul, and that soul is not actually governed by your will. It's not the center part of your soul. It's not governed by your mind. Mind is reasoning. You can still reason things out, but ultimately what's going to actually cause you to do what you do? Your emotions, how you feel. Think about how many decisions you've made in your life based off of emotions. I will promise you, you can go back all through the Bible in your own life, and you'll find all wrong decisions started in an emotion. You listening? I guarantee you, even as it relates to things that you thought were good, it was a good emotion. To you, wasn't good to God of something you wanted Something you want to feel, something you want to experience, that's an emotion. And the will says, go after it. And the reasoning says, yeah, no big deal, go ahead, go do it anyway. And so therefore you get off into the flesh. So where does Satan really tempt you with your desires? Your emotions. He's tempting you in the center part of your old Adamic nature, which is your soul. He's not tempt- if, if the devil came to you point blank, if you had zero emotions to deal with, and the devil came and said, do this instead of doing what God said, you know what your will's going to say? Uh-uh, no, that's what God wants. I'm going to do what God wants. Amen. So what got Paul in trouble? What got every, every person on the planet in trouble? Emotions did. Right. What caused Eve to sin? Emotions did. She started feeling these emotions about this fruit. Oh, it looks good. See, now all of a sudden the will, see, the will hasn't kicked in yet till the will said, go get it. You listening? I'm telling you, every man, Summerall brings this up in this study. It's like, man, I've never seen that before. He said, everything that relates to how Satan comes at you is going to go back to your emotional state. It's the inner part of your thinking, the inner part of your soulish man. And that's what he's going to try to use to affect your decisions. So how do I put on Christ? You're not ruled by your emotions. Hallelujah. I said you're not ruled by your emotions. Not getting many amens on that. I'll just stay on it here for about 10, 15 minutes or the next hour. You're not ruled by your emotions. If you're ruled by emotions, guess what you're giving into? The old Adamic nature. Well, wait a minute. God has emotions. Yeah, so does your spirit and they're good ones. And those emotions can trigger your soul to actually walk out what is good in the sight of God. If I'm governed by my spirit, then emotions don't rule my decisions. 
Emotions don't then actually go to, to the effect of my reasoning and then my will to do it. Right. See, emotions are what gets you on the reasoning path. And then your will responds and says, yep, I'm going to do that or I'm not going to do that. What if you just stop listening to your emotions? You'd never go through that route. Tell somebody, that was just for you tonight. That little nugget was just for you tonight. So see, you can't put on Christ if you're still ruled by emotions. You got to become spirit governed. To become spirit governed, you got to develop your spirit, man. You got to learn your three-part being, and that's how God created you to operate, but he created you to operate. Come on, guys, help me out. The spirit is supposed to be what part of us? What's the spirit supposed to be? What's the spirit in our life supposed to be? The king, the dominant one. What's the soul supposed to be? Close. The servant. What's the spirit? Uh, what's the soul? The servant. What's the spirit? King. This is how God created us to function. Your spirit's supposed to be king. He's supposed to rule. What's your soul supposed to be? Servant. He serves the king. He serves the spirit. What's the body, guys? He's a slave. slave. Your body's just going to wind up doing whatever your will tells it to do. See, we often think we're tempted by our body. The truth is you're being tempted in your soul. Your body might be tied to it to some degree, but the reality is it's ultimately your soul that's going to decide whether you give in to it or not. You listening? But if the spirit's king, guess who doesn't sit on the throne anymore? The soul. Guess what I'm not ruled by anymore? Emotions. Imagine how many different situations would have turned out better in your life if your emotions didn't rule what came out of your mouth, what you thought about somebody else, or what you did in a situation. Say amen if you can, or say oh me. Because that's why we don't want to be ruled by emotions. Now, don't, don't get upset, ladies, but this is why Satan went after the woman. Because women, if you don't know it, created by God, are far more, quote unquote, listen, they are far more right brain dominant than left brain. In the natural, right is where you actually function in context of experiencing all your emotions. So women tend to be more emotionally connected. Now, you've got to recognize, ladies, so therefore I'm more, sub, I, I'm more susceptible to that. To emotions. i got to really work on making sure I don't give in to my emotions. It don't mean guys don't. Right. You listening? Yeah. But guys begin with the left brain out of logic and then allow their emotions to kick in. Right. And if they do, then all of a sudden reasoning leads to their will to say, go ahead and do it. Their spirit wasn't even involved. Can I get a better amen? amen. The, the, I want you, everybody needs to get this. You ready? I want you to say it after me. My spirit, my spirit. is king. No, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was. No, wait a minute. I'm talking about you as a being being governed and ruled. Because if your spirit's ruling you, your spirit's perfect. He's made perfect in the image of God. Your spirit's never going to lead you to sin. Never, ever, never. If your spirit could lead you to sin, you couldn't go to heaven. If your spirit could lead you to sin, the Holy Spirit couldn't be living in your spirit. Because he wouldn't be perfect. God's sin-free, sinless. He's perfect. And that's why he couldn't reside with man anymore when man sinned. Because guess what? He can't reside inside of another part of a being that has sin in it. So if your spirit is king, ruling what you do, ruling your decisions, guess what then the soul becomes? Which, break that down. So what do my emotions become? My emotions become a servant to my king, my spirit. My, My emotions don't rule. When my emotions rise up, I now as a spirit have to rise up and say, nope, I'm taking control here. You are not going to get out of hand, emotions. You're not going to rule. I'm the king here. That's right. You're spirit man. 
And when the spirit becomes king and the soul becomes the servant, then the body, who is the slave, does what's right in the sight of God. Can you see that? I guarantee you, ladies, you can go get this, this teaching by video. If you go do a search on YouTube, just because you're not going through it with us, if you go do a search on YouTube called The Total Man by Dr. Lester Summerall, you can find these videos. But this is powerful to understand. So how do I put on Christ? I've told you about three different ways. How do I put on Christ? I allow my, my spirit to become king. Amen? Amen? Your spirit's born again. If my spirit becomes king, guess who I just put on? Jesus Christ, because now my soul is going to serve my spirit, which is going to do what God wants me to do by the Holy Spirit. So I've now put on who? Jesus Christ. It's not that complicated. You know, a lot of people, how do I put on Christ? You become spirit governed by your spirit, man. And when you're governed by your spirit, man, you put on Christ. You're not going to violate anything Jesus himself would not have you do. Could I get a better amen? Now that takes learning how to develop your spirit, man. Which we have teachings on that. The number one thing we have uh, views on uh, a video online is our teaching on how to develop your spirit, man. Thousands and thousands of views on that. Because it's one of the most important things for a believer to learn. So, thank God we can do what? We can walk properly, verse 13. We can walk properly as in the day. How? By putting on Christ. If we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what we can do? Cast off the works of darkness. Come on, put on the armor of light. And therefore, put on Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Number four, you can overcome temptation by making what? No provision for the flesh. So as a spirit being, what should you be doing? You should be governing the decisions you make in your life to recognize, if I allow my soul to make a decision that's going to open a door for my flesh to be tempted in a way that I know it shouldn't, guess what I need to do? Close that door. To make no provision for the flesh means don't keep doing stuff that's going to cause... You're going to be tempted enough. You know, it's like a guy that I once helped one time that had a situation in his marriage. He's caught up watching uh, pornography on TV, got in a situation with another gal and all this kind of stuff and everything. And so I said, so how are you going to overcome this, son? Well, I'm not sure. That's why I called you. I said, you need to shut down all of that stuff off your TV. Well, I wouldn't be able to watch all these other movies. Okay, you have a choice. You have a choice. You've already proven you can't not give in to that temptation, number one. Number two, I wouldn't want that any way, shape, or form available on my television in any way, shape, or form. Why in the world would you even want to put the temptation in your house? Right? So making no provision for the flesh means what? Get rid of all that. Have it removed from your service. A movie's that important to you? Christians really, honestly, in my opinion, Christians put far too much value of more than anything in their life today on movies and television than almost anything else. You know, it, it's bad enough. You know, I could, I could actually tell somebody who just really doesn't understand. I get it. You drink a little wine once in a while because you thought Jesus did. But, I, you know, I have more of a problem with people who see no issue with going and watching movies filled with foul language and GD this and GD that and nudity, and they got no problem with it at all. That's going to have a whole lot more negative impact on your life than drinking a glass of wine once in a while. And I'm not endorsing drinking a glass of wine once in a while, just for the record. But my point is to say, it's, you know, that kind of garbage is what's going to affect you more than anything. Can I get a better Amen. So understand this very clearly. Number four, you can for a do what? Cast off the works of darkness. How do you do that? You do that by you be walking properly as in the day, making choices 
to do, what does it mean to walk properly in, as in the day? Why, why do people do bad stuff at night? Because most of them don't want anybody else to know what they're doing. Right? So how do I walk properly as in the day? If you're doing something in your life, and it could be daytime. We're not talking about daytime, nighttime. But if you're doing something when obviously you're doing it that you know I would do this. If, if, if somebody ain't, as long as nobody else is around. But if somebody was here, I wouldn't be doing it. Let me help you. You're not walking properly as in the day. If you couldn't do it with somebody else in the room, why are you doing it? Come on, somebody. Preaching to all of us. You've got to realize that's what it means to walk properly as in the day. If, if I could not expose this to everybody, what do you look at on social media? If you could not expose that to everybody around you, that what you're looking at obviously would be inappropriate that you wouldn't allow everybody else around you to see it. You're not walking properly as in the day. What are we talking about? Are we really talking about uh, something that could be a help to us? Absolutely, because you don't want to make provision for the flesh. The flesh is already going to have enough temptation as it is. And then C, therefore, you're going to do what? You're going to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, D, by making no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So to make no provision there, again, means what? I'm not going to allow things in my life that's going to cause further temptation. I'm going to remove everything from my life that I can. Understandably, you might be in some situations at work or whatever stuff around you. But other than that, I am going to remove everything from my life that I can that would cause a further temptation in the flesh. Make no provision. Don't provide a way for your flesh to have a chance to actually have access to it. And then you have to do what? You have to put on Jesus Christ, which I just talked about. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. That right there is kind of the core of what you got to learn about dealing with temptations. Because far too often, I've done it more times than I care to admit. Far too often, we've allowed things in our life that we should not have. We've allowed things in our life that we know we should not have anything to do with, have any, and even relationship to other people that could be deceptive or deceived or whatever. Uh, you know, I used to think my job was I got to help everybody. Then I found out that's not what the Bible says. Right. But I am going to do everything I can to help everybody. But I'm also going to guard myself against those who the Bible says to guard myself against. Because if I don't, I could be taken advantage of. Second right. Timothy chapter 2 verse 20 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but they're also of wood and clay. Some are for honor, some for dishonor. So that just means, obviously, even in the body of Christ, there are those who are still struggling with stuff that they need to get rid of and get out of their life. Obviously, all of us to some degree still have to deal with the flesh, but some still need some cleansing work. 21, therefore, if anyone does what? Cleanses himself from the latter, that which is dishonorable in the sight of God. He will be a vessel for honor. Watch this, sanctified and useful for the master. Underline this, please, prepared for every good work. So you have to be prepared for God to use you. You have to be prepared. One of the things that, you know, Hagen talked about and Summerall talked about and Wigglesworth talked about and their writings and John G. Lake, etc., is you can't just, you know, uh, this guy, Curry Blake, who took over John G. Lake's ministry said, when I first got into the position where I knew God wanted me to do that and his family agreed, he said, there were some things going on in my life that I knew shouldn't be, but yet God was still using me. And I thought, see, no big deal. God's still using me. And then God spoke to him in an authoritative voice and said, you can no longer keep doing this and me use you. You're going to have to make a choice. There comes a time when God says, you either got to get this cleansed or I can't keep flowing through you. 
Because the truth is what happens when you walk in the flesh is what, you, what you're doing is you're blocking the spirit itself from working through your life. Because you're walking carnal. So number five, very clearly we need to do what? Purge ourselves and be a vessel of honor. Look at verse 22. Same chapter. Flee also what? Flee also what? Youthful lust. Things that you know that obviously, how many know young people are very susceptible obviously to sin because they're still growing up, they're still learning. So he's saying things that obviously that you would give into as a young person or things that would be clearly something you shouldn't have a part of in your life. What are you supposed to do? Well, play around with it for a while and just see if you can get rid of it. No, flee it. Flee means run as in terror. Right? Treat it like something that's so dangerous you don't want to mess with it. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue what? Righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who what? Call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So their hearts obviously are not just born again, but their heart's desire is to do that which is right in the sight of God. Number six on your notes, everyone must learn to flee both fornication and worldly lust. Anything at all that relates to what we know is a youthful lust, we got to do what? Flee. Run as in terror. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians, back up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So these are some things to help us beat the temptations of the day. Praise God. I said praise God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Test how many things? So in everything in our life, we're to put it to a test. Everything we come across, everything we look at, everything we listen to. I don't mean like, you know, get really all concerned about all this stuff. But the point is, you can't just let things happen in your life without testing to find out, is that really something that I should have anything to do with? Test how many things? And notice this, hold fast to what's good. Hold fast to what's good. What you know is good, hold on to that. What if it's not? Let go of that. Verse 21, abstain from every form of of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. This verse alone will help you to overcome and deal with temptations if you live it out. The word, the, the context for the word form, every form, the word form means appearance. An appearance of what? Evil. That which would even appear to be evil. 22, the first part, abstain, abstain from. Meaning what? Stay away from it. So the Greek language says it this way. Stay away from every appearance of evil, something that would even appear to be evil, I should stay away from it. Should have nothing to do with it. If I do that, praise God, I'm going to guard my life against things that I shouldn't give into a way of temptation to begin with. So on your notes number seven, if you learn to abstain from even the appearance of evil, then you will certainly abstain from what? The evil itself. Amen. I, I, I've taught this for years to families that are raising kids, you know. As an example, when you start raising kids and you get to the point where obviously, you know, they start getting interested in a young boy or a young girl, whatever, in their life and et cetera, et cetera. How many know that we don't treat this the way the world does? There is no such thing in the Bible called dating. No such thing. What does the Bible call it? Courting. And what you want to do is you want to actually simply get to be a friend of theirs, develop a friendship relationship, and in relationship to not being an adult yet, I guarantee you our pastor lived that out with his, with his kids, and both of them married, and they were virgins. They've only been married to one person. Both the people they married were virgins, and they've obviously stayed together all these years and now raised godly kids. 
Why? Because he would not even allow the appearance of evil with his kids. What would be the appearance of evil with your kid? Let a teenage boy take a teenage girl off by themselves in a car. You think that's going to have an appearance of innocence? No, that's going to have an appearance of evil. That probably don't look real good that they're out parked somewhere by themselves in a car. And obviously that's now opening up to what? Temptation that should not be opened up to. So Dr. Barclay would never allow his kids to actually have any relationship with anybody of the opposite sex unless they were in his house with him or Mrs. Barclay present. They weren't even allowed to go off in the kid's bedroom by themselves. Nope, you're staying in the living room with us. There's no reason for you to go back there. You got something back there you want to play with? You bring it out here. You don't need to go back there. Come on. Or if they went over to the other person's house, they knew the family personally, and they knew they obviously believed the same way, and they wouldn't allow it to happen either. So if you walk this out, it'll help you to stay free from a lot of sin. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Say, praise the Lord. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to address the three key areas that address the aspect of our natural part of our being, the old Adamic nature, and where those three areas obviously are being tempted on a consistent basis. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not what? Amen. Now, I'll tell you what, that's a, if you think about it, that's a challenging verse. Don't love the world. Or the, or the, or the, what happens if you start falling in love with the things of the world? They'll become more important than your God. And so you won't have a devotional love towards your God, and therefore those things will start drawing you away from your God. Including church, including serving God, including the things of what God wants you to do with your life. 16, for all that is in the world, say everything that's in the world. All that's in the world, notice the three things he mentions, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, notice this, is not of the Father. Did you listen to that? So, lust of the flesh, not of God. Lust of the eyes, not of God. Pride of life, not of the Father. But it's of the world. And the world, by the way, is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God does what? Bides forever. On your notes... Number eight, you need to watch out for the three areas in life that are the three main traps. Uh, 8A, lust of the flesh. 8B, lust of the eyes. 8C, pride of life. No longer teachable or humble. Lust of the flesh, carnal desires. Carnal desires. Back to dealing with the emotions. Back to dealing with what your emotional desires are, etc. What your flesh wants. Lust of the eyes, what you look at and say you got to have. If you look at something, got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. That's lust of the eyes. Pride of life, you're no longer teachable. Why? You're going to choose to do things your way. So the pride of life means I'm not doing it God's way. Right? Lust of the flesh means what? Whatever my carnal nature desires, I don't want to give in to that. Not as it relates to things that oppose God. Lust of the eyes, you start seeing stuff. See, think about it. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If I love the world or the things in the world, then what my eyes see, they're going to want. I want that. I got to have that. And all of a sudden, that's going to lead you in a position to compromise. Can I get a better amen? What got Samson in trouble? I want Delilah. I want Delilah. He saw Delilah. He wanted Delilah. 
And because of that, it led him into sin. What's the pride of life? Choosing to go your way instead of God's way. You're no longer humble, no longer teachable by God. You're just going to choose your way over God's. All three of those things are not of the Father. So they should not be a part of our life. 1 John chapter 3, next chapter. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God. Say, thank you, Jesus. Say, thank you, Jesus. If you're a child of God, say, thank you, Jesus. It has not yet been revealed what we, will, what we shall be. Boy, I'm excited to look, though. I'm, I can't wait. I said, I can't wait. Are you serious? In a glorified state, I can walk through walls. I don't need food. Come on, I'm going to have the perfect body. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. I can just think about where I want to be and be there. And we have no idea. What the, it's just going to be so amazing. So it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know, we know that when he is revealed, Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So what's verse 2 talking about? It's talking about his return. It's talking about when we see him, when he comes back for us, those who are still here, when we see him, guess what? Then we're going to see him as he is, and then we're going to see ourselves as he intended for us to be, because... All that are here when Jesus returns, guess what's going to happen? In the twinkling of an eye. Come on, man. That quick. That quick. Your mortal body is going to put on an immortal body. Instantly. Verse 3, everyone, underline it, who has this hope. This expectation of his return, and then I'll be instantly changed. Everybody who has this hope in him, Jesus, does what? What do they do? Wow, so there must be some reason why we should need to do that if we're thinking about Jesus coming back. Yeah, like being a lukewarm believer that he would spew out of his mouth and not go in the rapture. You listening? So clearly there's a, there's, a, there's a reason why he's telling us this of his return. Everyone who has this hope in Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. So it doesn't mean I allow myself to do whatever I want. It doesn't mean you may be doing everything perfect. But you are not just giving into the flesh and just letting the flesh rule and do whatever it wants. Not thinking about his return. What if he comes tonight? What if I'm living carnal lukewarm and Jesus shows up tonight? According to his own words, you ain't going. What if I'm a foolish virgin, not a wise one? We learned, we learned in our, our study on Friday night what a foolish virgin is. Bible taught us clearly in the context of the Old Testament that one who simply goes by the old Adamic nature's ways is foolish. But one who is governed by the Spirit is wise. Oh, so who's the foolish virgins? They're governed by the old Adamic nature. Governed by. Governed by. Who's the wise? They're governed by the new Spirit. Their desire is to honor God. Doesn't mean they always do it, but that's their desire. Can I get a better amen? It's like a thermostat. Which temperature do you want to turn it to? The fleshly temperature or the spiritual temperature? So if your desire is to do the spiritual thing, you're wise. Can I get a better amen? So notice this on your notes there. Number nine, if you're looking for his coming, are you? If you are, then guess what? You have hope in, you, have hope in you that what? Purifies you and you do what? Stay pure. Boy, there's a lot of believers that are certainly not looking for his coming based on the way they're living. Not you, but there are a lot in the world, sadly, that are living that way. Psalm 119. 
Psalm 119. So he's just telling you, if you think about the fact he could come today, that ought to make you live a pure life. That ought to make you live a prepared life. Remember what Wigglesworth prophesied? It would take special preparation to be prepared for the Lord's return. And 50%, he said, of the body of Christ would not be prepared. I am not going to be in that unprepared category. How about you? For, uh, Psalm 119.11, this is a powerful verse. Your word, speaking of God's word, I have hidden in my heart. Hidden in my heart. That I might not what? Sin against you. How do you hide God's word in your heart? Meditate on it. Feed on it. Speak it over and over. It gets inside you. Gets rooted inside you. When it does, you won't sin against God. So, number 10, the words of God itself hidden in your heart is one of the most cleansing factors. It is one of the most cleansing factors. But you got to get it hidden in your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Last area that we're going to cover. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And then we'll actually move into chapter 7 there as well. We're going to begin with chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Number 11 on your notes you must come out from among them if you're going to walk with God and not compromise. Among who? Let's find out. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with what? Unbelievers. For what fellowship? Oneness, communion. What fellowship? Now I want you to get this if you've never gotten this before. What fellowship has righteousness with what? Now he's talking to believers. So that'd be me. So what he's saying is, is that you and I should not as believers be unequally yoked with what? So guess what he's going to reveal in the, in the following verses. He's going to reveal different titles for, that reveal what a believer is and different titles that reveal what an unbeliever is. So here's the first one. For what fellowship has, who would that be? The believer. He's making a comparison here. What fellowship has righteousness with? Lawlessness. What's lawlessness? The unbeliever. The unbeliever lives in lawlessness. The believer lives in righteousness. And what communion has light? Who would that be? Come on, help me out, church. That would be the believer. What communion has light with darkness? Who's darkness? That's the sinner. The one that doesn't know God. 19. What accord has? What would that be? That's the believer. With Balal, or in other words, with Satan himself. Now, what does he mean? Why, why is he referring to us? I'm not Christ. Oh, listen. You are one spirit with the Lord. You are anointed. Christ means anointed one. You're anointed just like God's anointed. And thank God, God says that you and I can walk in that anointing and not have to give in to the very work of Satan himself. 15 again. What part has a... Come on, that'd be you. Really clear with an unbeliever. What agreement has the temple of God with? We're the temple of God. We should have nothing to do with idol worship, making a God to fit our own life. For you are the temple of the living God. What's that mean? What's that mean? Come on, tell me. What's that? Kathy's the only one that knows. What's that mean? He's in there. I said he's in there. Think about that. God's in you. Tell your neighbor, he's in there. Tell may not look like it, but he's in there. What, notice this. He says, for you are the temple of the living God as God has said. I will do what? God said this. I will dwell in them. 
I will walk among them. I will be their God. And they shall be my... So this is God's desire. God's desire is that He dwells in us. If you're born again, He is. His desire is to walk among us. His desire is to be our God and for us to be His people. 17, because of that, because the word therefore means because of that, what should you do? You ready? Here's your part. Come out from among them. Come out from among who? All the sinners. It doesn't mean we don't witness to them. doesn't mean we don't love on them. doesn't mean we don't pray for them. But we don't go do what sinners do. Come out from among them. Go, don't go hang out. Where do sinners hang out? Bars. Where do singer, sinner, sinners hang out? All different kinds of places where sin is involved. And you should not be hanging out in those kind of places. Come out from among them and be what? Separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. Underline it. Do not touch what is unclean. This again is making no preparation for the flesh. What I know is not right in the sight of God, I should not even be putting my hand to. And God says, I will receive you. 18, I will be what? A father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. On your notes there, number 11. 11a, we already read the title. You must come out from among them if you're going to walk with God and not compromise. 11a, therefore do not be what? Unequally yoked with unbelievers. So how do I get unequally yoked with unbelievers? First and foremost, I should not have any kind of an intimate, close friendship with unbelievers. That's unequally yoked. You listening? I want you to hear me clearly. I should be a friend to the believer. I should be a, uh, excuse me, thank you. I should, to the believer too. I should be a friend to the sinner. You ought to be a friend to everybody, friendly. I should be a friend to them, but not be a friend of them. Friend of them, meaning I go hang out and do what they do. I go listen to what they listen to. Well, I go to my friend's house. He's a sinner. He has all kinds of garbage and stuff on his TV, but I'm just there to witness to him. Well, obviously it ain't doing much good if he doesn't turn the TV off. That's right. So... We don't go in that environment to think somehow. The, the thing that cracks me up about people with Jesus, well, Jesus went and hung out with sinners. No, Jesus, no, sinners came and hung out with, with Jesus. Uh, he, yeah, he went to their home. But when they were in their home, guess what they weren't doing? They weren't doing sinful things. Right. They're wanting to hear what he had to say. Right. Now, if you got their full attention and they're turning their TV off, yes, go witness to them. Right. Hallelujah. 11b, you're also to come out from among them, as the Bible says, and be what? Separate. And therefore, 11c, don't even touch what? The unclean thing. Now look on down there in chapter 7, verse 1. Again, because this wasn't written in chapter and verse. It's a letter. So now we have another therefore. 7-1, therefore, meaning what? Because we're to come out from among them, because we're to be separate and not touch what's unclean, so that God can father me. God wants to father you. He doesn't father every believer. He doesn't father every believer. You can give birth as a male to a child and never be their father. God gave birth to you supernaturally as a born-again child of God, but it doesn't mean he's a father. Now, he's not denying fathering you, but you've got to come as a son and say, I want you to father me. I'm submitting to you. I'm the son. I want to know what you want for my life, what you don't want for my life. Come on, somebody. 7-1, therefore, having these promises. What promises? That God wants to walk among you. God wants to father you. God wants to guide and lead your life. Because we have these promises, beloved, let us, say us, let us cleanse ourselves. 
ourselves from all what? Filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Realize again, there might be some things that are a stronghold in your life that you're going to need God's weapons to get rid of. We've talked about that. But this is saying stuff that you obviously know you should have nothing to do with. Cleanse yourself from it. I, you know, <clears throat> sorry to be a little crude at the end of this message, but Dr. Barclay's always brought it up and I've never forgot it because if you look up the word cleanse there, you know what it's like in, in the context of what we understand? Flush it. Oh. <sighs> Don't play around with it. Just flush the thing. Are you listening? What should you do with the fleshly part of you? Just flush it. Don't play around with it. Come on, cleanse yourself. <laughs> See, I knew you'd like that. It's the truth. That's what the word means. <clears throat> Twelve. So you won't be hungry when you go home now. <laughs> this, scripture, this scripture is like the theme verse for end time living. Amen. 2 Corinthians 7. 1. <clears throat> it's like a theme verse for end time living. Memorize it and walk in it. Yes. 12a. We have the word of God. Uh, we have the word, excuse me, of his promise. promise. What's the word of his promise? I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters. I'll father you. I'll help you. Uh, 12B, therefore let us do what? Cleanse ourselves. 12C, cleanse yourself from all filthiness of what? Flesh and spirit. What's the difference between flesh and spirit? Flesh is outward actions. Spirit is inward thoughts. Spirit refers to the inner being here. And obviously it's not of your spirit man because there's nothing to, to cleanse your spirit man from. It's referring to the inner thoughts of man. The context of the verse there actually says, you're to cleanse yourself from all outward acts of sin and even wrong thinking. That's the inward. That's the spirit part. Are you listening? Because this is referring to what you're supposed to do with your fleshly man. I'm not supposed to cleanse myself from my spirit. There's nothing wrong from my spirit. All filthiness of the spirit, meaning wrong thoughts. Are you listening? Don't continue to allow those wrong thoughts. Deal with them. 12D, perfecting holiness in our lives. 12E, doing it with what? So the fear of the Lord means we should have such an awe and a reverence for our God who truly is holy that we want to honor that holy God to whom we serve. And if we do so, then obviously it will help motivate us to walk out what God wants for our life. Amen. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.